I saw a stat that said that digital accessibility legal action rose 92% in 2022 alone. That's a lot. Like what happens to those brands whose websites aren't accessible whenever legal action is taken against them? The idea, of course, is we're not trying to scare people into being inclusive with regards to accessibility, but just kind of bringing awareness to that this is this is happening. Obviously, somebody missed compliance, you know, that was served legal action. That can result in financial penalties, settle, settlements, reputational damage. Speaking of reputational damage, you know, especially in today's digital age where word spreads quickly, uh, it wouldn't take much for somebody to post in social media. You know, there's a reputational issue right there. Negative experiences shared by users can lead to backlash and loss of trust. Welcome to Inclusion and Marketing, the show that's all about helping you develop the insights, mindset, and skills you need to win the loyalty of consumers most brands ignore. I'm your host, Sonia Thompson, an inclusive brand coach and consultant and someone with a lot of differences. Let's get to it. So, okay, I've got another podcast recommendation for you. It's Latinx in Power, hosted by Thaisa Fernandez. It's brought to you by the HubSpot Podcast Network, the audio destination for business professionals. This podcast features interviews with top-level executives, entrepreneurs, and innovators from Latin America, aiming to demystify the tech industry by providing listeners with insider perspectives and insight from Latin American leaders who have succeeded in their fields. I like listening to this podcast because I like hearing from a broad diversity of voices and hearing from and learning from their experiences. One episode I'm super excited to dive into is the latest one, Lead Generation Journey with Glenville Dixon Jr. Listen to Latinx Empower wherever you get your podcasts. Over the last couple of weeks, we've been covering the topic of accessibility, first with episode 59 on how to create an accessible brand for people with disabilities with Aaron Perkins, and then again with episode 63, how Google makes their brand accessible. I'll drop links to both of those episodes in the show notes so you can access them easily. Now, while episode 63 covered accessibility from a broader macro perspective, today we're going to go a bit more granular and specifically focus on ensuring your website is accessible. To cover this topic more in depth, I chatted with Mark Pound, founder of CurbCut OS, a consultancy focused on helping brands make their websites accessible. I learned so much from chatting with Mark, and I know you'll also get a lot from this conversation. So without further ado, here's Mark. Hey, Mark. Thanks so much for joining me today. How are you? Good. Hi, Sonia. How are you? I'm doing well. I'm really excited about our chat. I'm eager to learn. But before we dig into talking more about accessibility, who are you and what is it that you do? So who am I? Who am I as a person? Um, I won't take you down the long path, but I'm a serial entrepreneur. Um, I've always focused on commercializing solutions that are impactful and make a difference and make a change and, and change the status quo. And whether it's either animals or humans, uh, it doesn't matter. Uh, that's been my focus. 
My focus now is on the digital accessibility or the disability market. And my likeness to that or my understanding of that is when I was in high school playing football, I was actually a, a quadriplegic on the football field. Wow. Temporarily, I was lucky that I recovered and, and got off, but I will never forget what that feeling was like. And then later on in life, fast forward, I was in a massive car accident. The witnesses thought we were dead. Uh, that then exacerbated all my spine and nerve problems. And I lost 10 years of my life to chronic pain. Wow. wow. And so I had to fight to come back and where I am today. So I know what it's like to be disadvantaged and what it is that you have to fight for everything that you want so you can enjoy life. And yeah. so I get the struggle. That, that's who I am. And then Cut OS is a digital accessibility company. And we just recently rebranded. We've been around since 2019. We were formerly known as Nebula Media Group. And we rebranded so we can actually show the market what we're going to do and or achieve, which we have been doing for over 200 plus clients since 2019. Mm -hmm. And really, that's the curb cut effect. And the curb cut effect is a phenomenon where in the physical world, when they cut those curbs out and they put the ramps in, what they didn't realize at that point in time was... It was going to have impacts for people without disabilities as equal as people with disabilities. And so our objective, our purpose is to achieve the same in the digital world as the curb cut effect achieved in the physical. Yeah, I think about that um, often. I didn't know that it was actually called the curb cut effect, but I noticed that phenomenon specifically once I had um, my daughter and I was uh, I was living in Buenos Aires at the time, so I was walking a lot. And so I definitely appreciated whenever I was pushing the stroller where they had that that curb cut and it, it helped me tremendously and was thankful for them because I definitely noticed whenever there were areas that did not have it and how frustrated I was and my experience was less than optimal and ideal. Exactly. And that, and that that is the curb cut effect. And so is now it's transcending over into the digital world. And what many people don't realize is even closed captioning, uh, it is actually showing benefits to people without disabilities. So once again, you know, now we're going from physical to digital and some of it has already been out there for a while. But now we're going towards websites, apps digital content, uh, really anything digital. Yeah. No, no, it definitely, I, I, it's ideal. Like I think nowadays, like you said, there's closed captioning whenever there's just captions on videos in particular, it is definitely helpful for people who are hearing impaired, but like the amount of people who just really in love captions, because let's say they're at work and they're watching a video and they they can just kind of read along and they're, you know, they're in, they're in bed watching a video, don't want to, you know, disturb somebody else. So there's so many different um, instances where this curb cut effect plays out. And I, I, I love this concept because I think a lot of times people, when they're thinking about inclusion, they're thinking about it for whatever specific um, degree of dimension of diversity there is, but they fail to realize the spillover effect 
that they're going to have on other groups of people who not only find what aspect of them, you know, that they're they're doing is going to benefit other people who don't have that, you know, specific dimension of diversity, but also is going to impact the people who were like excited that you are catering to or you're specifically serving people with disabilities or people, you know, whatever, whatever the dimension of diversity is, that spillover effect is real. And it does have a positive and sometimes negative, if you're not doing the right things, right. Um, impact on a business's bottom line. Exactly. I, geez, I couldn't have said that better <laughs> uh, because that's my exact feeling. Uh, this isn't a compliance scheme, although compliance is requirement, but compliance captures opportunity. Yeah. It's not compliance just because I have to be compliant and it's a cost. No, it's a compliance as an investment because the opportunity is a market that the majority of businesses are ignoring and they don't realize that are there. But at the same time, like you just said, was it does actually benefit everybody because from a marketing standpoint, even from an SEO when you enhance your digital assets of any type with accessibility requirements, they actually improve the SEO. Oh, I didn't know that. Yep. That's fantastic. Um, I did want to ask you before we get into compliance, because we're going to talk about compliance a little bit more. Sure. What are the common ways that you've seen that websites aren't accessible? And what is the impact that that not being accessible has on people with disabilities? So there are several uh, that come top of mind. Lack of text alternatives for images. Okay. You know, those who are blind or low vision can't see them. Yeah. And let me just kind of add something into there too, is when people think of a disabled person, everyone has this picture in mind of someone that you know has all these disabilities what they don't realize is we have an aging population yeah even the aging population have low vision requirements so technically they are and actually are included in the disabled population wow which is growing so you know that lack of text alternatives for images does have an impact across the board um poor use of color you know Color, especially in society today, because very few people read anything anymore, it seems like. Uh, Color is in graphics. It's used to convey information. If it's not accessible, those who are colorblind or low vision, they're missing out on information. Yeah. Uh, Lack of keyboard navigation. Should Should be able to use a keyboard to navigate a website without a mouse. Okay. So that way it's accessible to people with mobility issues. Complex forms. I mean, it, it, there are forms that could be difficult to complete. I mean, just even for people without disabilities, let yeah. alone people with disabilities. Right. I mean, so they need to be simplified, have clear instructions. Uh, that applies to people with fine motor skills. Mm-hmm. Um, audio content without transcripts, podcasts, videos. Uh, you'd be amazed at how many just don't have transcripts. And, you know, obviously those apply to the people who are deaf or hard of hearing. Right. And that's the short list. But the one thing that I do want to add to that is, and this is the first thing that happens, anybody that thinks about addressing digital accessibility 
they become overwhelmed. And I can assure them and everybody, you shouldn't. Right. It's complex, but with having the right partner, those complexities can be broken down into simple terms in a roadmap. Absolutely. And I, I think whenever you think about complexity, most things that you aren't immersed in or that are new to you may feel complex whenever you're getting started. But if we actually just start and make a list of all the things that were complex that we find ourselves doing now, like in our sleep, <laughs> right? We figured exactly. out how to do them. They're not quite as uncomplex anymore whenever you have experience with it, whenever you have the right teachers and you just kind of make it a part of something and that you do and how you operate and the complexity kind of just, you know, it doesn't, it does, it's not complex anymore. It might start complex, but it doesn't stay complex. Exactly. And also part of that too is change. People hate change mm -hmm. and, and having the right partner in place makes the change more simple and more approachable because sure. part of that right partner is also educating the client along the way. They'll never know everything. They don't need to, but they'll know enough to realize, oh, this isn't so bad. Yeah. Do you have, like, have you seen any specific instances? I know you talked about, like, you know, people not being able to see certain images when if there's no alt text. But, like, do you have any, like, do you have a story maybe to share of the impact that you've seen on a, a person who, where they got to a website or they were experiencing something online that wasn't accessible? And, like, what was the impact on them? So I've never personally, however... Uh, we do employ people with disabilities, and one of our key advisors has a disability. So mm -hmm. through them, I do understand. Okay. And, you know, it's one of those to where, like I said, you know, earlier where, you know, you're either dealt with a disability at birth or something happens to you in life and you end up disabled. Now, all of a sudden, you know, you don't fit in this box of society yeah. that society loves to pitch to. Now you're, we're dealing with, okay, I'm disabled, I'm disadvantaged. So now all of a sudden that loneliness just exacerbates yeah. or I feel shut out or I feel misinformed and the frustration level goes through. So now we're not just taking that person with a disability and they're frustrated by it. Now we just compounded it because of being inaccessible. And so the mental health alone is a lot to deal with. Yeah, I definitely can attest to like the, the frustration that you feel. And it's just like it compounds a feeling that you don't belong. Right. Whenever it's like you can't do the things that you want to do and that it seems like everybody else can do. But, you know, it's because people hadn't really thought of you and your specific situation then it's kind of like you can't participate or you can't it, it, it experience the same degree of success that maybe others are because, you know, the the or there or you can experience it, but it's going to take a lot more of you overcoming obstacles to be able to do it. Yes. Yes. And, 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 and to me, that's that's also a huge issue in the sense that, geez, OK. I was born or I ended up with a disability. 
now society disadvantaged me with my disability. Yeah. Oh, but yeah. mentally, mentally and or, you know, hey, I still want to be contributing to society. I still want to be actively involved with society. And so now you have to fight to get through all of it. And sometimes it just gets exhausting. Yeah, totally get it. All right. Let's talk a little bit about compliance because you mentioned that before. Um, sure. What does it mean for a website to be ADA compliant and who does ADA compliance apply to? So what does it mean for a website to be ADA compliant? So domestically, there's the Web Content Accessibility Guidelines, or WCAG, as they call them. And, you know, ADA obviously stands for Americans with Disabilities Act which is a civil rights law that prohibits discrimination on the basis of disability in all areas of public life, employment, education, transportation, and public accommodation. Mm -hmm. The courts have since ruled that websites and digital assets are considered places of public accommodation under the ADA. So what does it mean for a website to be compliant? You know, here's where this is kind of a loaded question. Okay. <laughs> there is so much misinformation and really what it means is hey are we taking an effort to, to adhere to the standards or the guidelines it's not a hundred percent game it never will be it is a journey it's not a oh i fixed it we're done <laughs> it is a new line item it's a new way of thinking that doesn't need to be costly but then you generate a roadmap, you conduct an audit, and you go about this in the right manner. You create an accessibility statement. Uh, if you're dealing with other entities that may require um, other guidelines, is Section 508, which is government-based, and or other reports that may be required in order to conduct that business. Now, you may conduct an audit, and you might find out you have all these errors and we may come back and say, let's just address the most severe ones first. Okay. Okay. And then that adheres to let's figure out the KPIs, objectives and budgets. And that way we can work with that. And then the next year, you know, we address more and then we address more because unlike the physical world, the digital world is always changing. So who does it apply to? Uh, it applies to everybody. There's nobody that's immune to it, uh, even government and education. Wow. Yeah. It, it's there is no industry that, oh, no, no, we don't have to comply. We're in this industry. No, everybody does. Right. So are there a few things I know you mentioned, like it's a loaded question and there are a number of you know guidelines and it seems like it's constantly changing. Are there any like even sort of basic things that the like, I guess the government expects a website to have? for it to be compliant, knowing that there's a long list of things and, you know, like it's not, you know, it's not like a checklist, right? <laughs> yeah, no, it, it, and, it, and it can't be, you know, there's, like I said earlier, there's no thing, such thing as 100%. Right. However, if you are taking, you know, companies take one of two approaches, it's either reactive because they got served some sort of legal action. Right. And they're taking a reactive or they're taking a proactive and saying, right. hey, 
Uh, we want to get this addressed. We're adopting this into the company at large. And so how do we go about addressing this? And I would say the best way is we have to go by a series of steps. One is you need to find the right partner. Because if you think you know everything, that could be a dangerous thing. Okay. The right partner should help educate you at the same time, guide you through the process. And that process could be as simple as, hey, let's sit down and let's figure out. You could have a website, an app, digital content, uh, documents. And they say, wait a minute, we're not going to be able to address all of it. What do you want to go with first? Let's pick our website. Okay, what kind of audit should we address in this first step? Because the first step is one step of many that will never end. Right. Then what we do is we then we set up a roadmap and we make right. sure we align with that company's KPIs, objectives, and so forth. Right. Put that roadmap in place. Then we go forward, get the audit done, and then set up a remediation plan, which that partner can then help that company with. And or if the company has IT resources, then we can help guide them and get that remediated. And then you go into ongoing maintenance. Got it. Finding a service solution that helps you better connect with customers and keep them happy can feel impossible. Like trying to remember the name of that guy you just met at a networking event. Was it Ron or could it be Don or John or Sean? Yeah, that kind of impossible. HubSpot's all-new Service Hub can help. Well, with the service solution part, at least. It brings service and success together on one powerful platform for the first time ever. With an AI-powered help desk and an AI chatbot that handles frontline tickets fast. Plus, it comes with a customer success workspace that helps reps anticipate customer needs and a full 360 view of every customer so your go-to-market team can keep a pulse on accounts before trying to upsell or cross-sell. Also, you can scale support and drive retention and revenue. And you know what that means. Better service and happier customers at every stage of the journey. Visit HubSpot.com service to do more for your customers today. Do you know... Um, ADA compliance applies to companies in the U.S. Do you know, are there like similar sort of laws in like Europe and Canada and other parts of the world that have, you know, give guidelines for expectations of websites as regards to accessibility? Sure. So in, in Canada, there's such a thing as it's called AODA, Accessibility for Ontarians with Disabilities Act in Europe. There is the EN301549. Mm-hmm. Don't ask me to explain all of that because I don't even know what's behind all those numbers. I just know that is the standard that needs to be complied with in the okay. European countries. Got it. And I imagine that every country probably has their own level of compliance. So it's helpful to know of wherever it is that you live to make sure that you're checking in with what the, the laws are governing um, where you live and what your expectations are. Because even within the U.S., I believe there are even specific states that are more strict in terms of what the guidelines are. So it's just helpful to know what they are wherever it is that you live. Correct. 100% correct. And the other thing, too, is they're not just fixed. Uh, For example, in the states, you know, current criteria is 2.1. 2.2 is coming out some point in this year. 
Uh, but it doesn't necessarily mean, uh oh, we're 2.1. Now we got to be 2.2. Mm-hmm. What it means is, is we just build that into the roadmap and the plan for future iterations with audits, remediation, and maintenance. Got it. Okay. I saw a stat that said that digital accessibility legal action rose 92% in 2022 alone. That's a lot. Like, What happens to those brands whose websites aren't accessible whenever legal action is taken against them? The idea, of course, is we're not trying to scare people into being inclusive with regards to accessibility, but just kind of bringing awareness to that this is this is happening. Well, I, I, I there, there's several things to that, too, as well, is, you know, obviously somebody missed compliance, you know, that served legal action that can result in financial penalties, settle, settlements, reputational damage. Mm-hmm. Speaking of reputational damage. You know, especially in today's digital age where word spreads quickly, yeah. uh, it wouldn't take much for somebody to post in social media. You yeah. know, there's a reputational issue right there. Negative experiences shared by users can lead to backlash and loss of trust. There's lost business opportunities. You know, I probably mentioned that so many times already, but there's a massive population that is just ignored with a tremendous amount of spending power. For example, I think I mentioned, you know, a billion people, that spending power that they have is 1.2 trillion, if not higher. Yeah. Um, in addition to that, there's decreased user satisfaction. So there's frustration, dissatisfaction amongst users with disabilities. Yeah. But then that also leads to lower engagement, increased bounce rates, decreased customer loyalty. So, you know, hate to give these long-winded answers, but every question is kind of a loaded question. Yeah. What are some of the biggest myths that you'd like to bust about making your website ADA compliant? Oh, boy. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure you've got a little, so um, you've got plenty. So tell us the, like the, just the top three, maybe. Yeah, yeah. I'll I'll try to condense it way down. Okay. Uh, It's not a one-time fix. That is a huge myth, especially if anybody has served uh, a a legal action. Mm -hmm. Uh, We fixed it, we're done. Many times, Mm -hmm. those people who fix it one time and done get sued again. Uh, This is an ongoing requirement. It's not going to go away. Uh, It's too expensive and time-consuming. The way I like to look at this is we're taking you from a legacy version to the new version of business. Okay. Once that hump is take, overtaken, we can get into addressing where the long-term benefits outweigh the cost. In fact, I don't even consider it a cost. I consider it an investment. Yeah. And this shouldn't be separate. It should be integrated throughout the company because you want to make sure the people understand what is going on and what they're doing through and through. Automated accessibility tools guarantee compliance. No, they don't. They can be helpful, but they don't fully assess the user experience. And at the same time, manual testing, user feedback, and that expertise should be added on top of those automated accessibility tools. Now, the one thing I do want to make clear, though, is, and this may come up eventually here, is an automated accessibility tool, we can run a scan of the website to create an audit result in addition to manual user testing. That's the best way to do it. There's also okay. something else called an overlay or a plugin, right. which is something entirely different. 
Got it. So whenever you're saying like automated tools, because there are a number of like different AI plugins, applications and things that are helping companies be more accessible with their content. One is like auto transcriptions, other things. It's like, you know, being able to caption videos, other things are, you know, they're able to read the text that's on a website, you know, verbally, like read that text, whether that's an automated um, type of thing. Are these things useful, you're saying, or it's just a matter of knowing what you're trying to accomplish with the tools and thinking about it in the context of a larger strategy? I think once you go away from conducting an audit with an automated tool, which is a scanner, in addition to that manual user testing, there's also the AI options or the overlays or plugins, mm-hmm. you know, and there's, there's claim versus reality. Okay. And when we're talking about these AI options, or overlays or plugins, typically there's a false sense of security. Okay. Uh, they're subject to a tremendous amount of scrutiny among experts and organizations that have issued statements against them. Mm-hmm. Uh, they, as far as overlays go, claim they automatically fix accessibility barriers, but in reality, mm-hmm. they simply add a layer of code to the site. They're not a substitute for proper accessibility. In fact, they can introduce new accessibility issues, which is another issue uh, because there are there is case law where people have used an overlay and they got sued again. Mm-hmm. As far as AI-driven tools now, you know, they're designed to automatically detect and, and fix certain issues. I think, as you mentioned, you know, now they, while they can be helpful, uh, they can identify some aspects of accessibility, but they lack the nuanced understandings and context needed to ensure a truly acceptable user experience. So, you know, there again, there's a lot of information to unpack between both of those, but you know, approach with caution. Yeah, I would say the AI-driven tools probably a little bit more helpful as opposed to the overlays, which are uh, just rife with issues. Got it. No, totally get it. Totally get it. All right. Uh, could you tell me about a time when you felt like a brand made you feel like you belonged? It showed that you showed you that you belonged with them. You know, it's don't laugh, but it's more than it's the combination of digital experience in the user experience. For example, uh, Chewy, okay, the dog company. Yeah, yeah. Kind of like Zappos, and they made you feel like you were part of that brand. Got it. Because I'll give you a case in point. So. My wife ordered dog food one day. Mm-hmm. Before that dog food showed up, our, our dog died of cancer. Oh, no. We called Chewy and said, hey, uh, we can't. What are we going to do? And they said, don't worry about it. Take it. Donate it to a shelter. And then you know what they did? They sent us flowers and oh. uh, condolences on, on right. losing our dog. Yeah. Now, that is a brand that you connect to because it's not just about the company. It's about you personally. Yeah. And there's a point, there's a visceral connection right there. Yeah. And if I could then translate that over into digital accessibility, it is, if we truly address digital accessibility, it should have the same feeling. Yeah. 
And the same feeling should be, let's just not go fix something and say, oh, we fixed it yeah. and we're done. No, we need, in order to do true accessibility, because it's not all created equal, is you need to make sure you are delivering the best and optimal experience as much as you can to that disabled market. Right. And show them that you care because there again, there's the connection and there's the capture of the opportunity. Yeah. Yeah. No, I think that is, um, it's just about really taking the time to see people where they are. Yes. Right. And so for you in the instance, it was a very specific circumstance and they, you know, beyond just canceling the order or saying, Hey, keep it like donate it. They took the extra step to acknowledge where you were emotionally. Right. And what you were going through. And I just think that's a beautiful thing. One little extra step in customer for life. (laughs) It it, it was, it was, I I think if more companies adopted that, um, they would find that their customers would go at great lengths for them. Absolutely. Absolutely. Totally agree. Where can people find you if they want to know more about you and your work that you and your team do? The best way is our website, and that is www.curbcutos.com. All right. And I'll definitely put that in the show notes um, so people can access it easily. Thanks so much. I've been learning a ton. And any parting words of wisdom for business owners and marketers who want to make their websites more accessible? Three things. Uh, I'll keep it simple because everything was a loaded answer. (laughs) Accessibility is a journey, not a destination. Mm -hmm. Compliance captures opportunity and not all digital accessibility is created equal. Ooh, can you speak a little bit about that last one? Not all digital accessibility is created equal. So I can speak from where we come from. You know, we've spent years researching and watching the market and you can go get a scanner offline or you can go to a certain company and have them do it. But what you don't realize is you're only capturing 30 to 40% of errors. Mm. So is that really true accessibility? No, that is a, we're just, this is what we think we know, but we don't know what we don't know. Mm -hmm. And then ultimately we're not serving the end user market correctly. So what we've done is assess that and we've taken a tool agnostic approach. And with that tool agnostic approach, it actually gives us much more coverage when we conduct an audit remediation to the point where 90% plus. Nice. And even though, you know, that's kind of a fuzzy number, I like to say complete coverage. Very cool. So that's, that's what I mean by not all digital accessibility is created equal because at the same time too, you have to create an ecosystem where it's turnkey. It's not just automated scanners. It's also manual. Yeah. And you're addressing all the elements because the other thing that you'll find is if you don't look at this in entirety or totality is you may fix one thing, but end up breaking something else. Right. Totally get it. All right. Thank you again, Mark, for stopping by and sharing. And I look forward to learning more from you. Absolutely. And thank you for having me. Appreciate it. Mark had so many cool things to share, and I'm super curious what your thoughts are on where you'll focus on making your website more accessible. Do let me know. I want to hear about your progress. That's it for today's episode. If you like the show, I'd love it if you would share it with a friend, colleague, and or your network. 
Another way you can support the show is by leaving a rating and review for it in your podcast player of choice. It really does go a long way toward helping more people discover the show. And if you'd like to go deeper into the world of inclusion and marketing, definitely sign up to get the inclusion and marketing newsletter. Each week, I send you stories, news, and additional tips and insights on how to win more consumers, particularly those most brands ignore. Go to inclusionandmarketing.com slash newsletter to get signed up. I'll also drop a link to it in the show notes so you can access that more easily. Until next time, remember, everyone deserves to have a place where they belong. Let's use our individual and collective power to ensure more people feel like they do. Thanks so much for listening. Talk to you soon.